speak. If you have a Bible, uh, would you turn with me please to Romans 15. Romans chapter 15. If you do not have a Bible, uh, there should be one at a row near you. And if you don't own a Bible, we have several uh, in uh, the foyer out there that we would love uh, for you to just take. It would be our gift to you. So uh, please feel free to do that. But right now we're reading from Romans 15. We're going to go through a lot of Bible passages today, but this will be the kind of jumping off spot. Romans 15, and I'll read verses 7 through 13. Romans 15, verses 7 through 13. As I said earlier, this is the uh, second week of our Mission Sunday here, and looking forward to seeing uh, what is foundational to our life in Christ. So, let me read, I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Romans 15, verses 7 through 13. Word of God says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who rises arises to rule the Gentiles. In Him will the Gentiles hope. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let me pray. Father, thank You for being our hope and our strength. Thank You in this moment for promising to be near to us and not give up on us. And I pray that You would give us an extraordinary amount of focus and that, God, You would just stir our hearts to love and obedience and that, Father, You would set our foundation firm and sure underneath our feet to live for the glory of Your name. I pray that You would make it click on what that looks like for each person in this room. Oh God, please, shine brightly in us and we pray shine brightly through us to the ends of the earth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, this happens periodically, but it happened this week. As I was preparing for this sermon, there was massive... Mental confusion, which shouldn't surprise you, right? I had a hard time kind of honing in on exactly where I'm headed and exactly what to share. On top of that, there were several things that popped into the calendar this week that were unavoidable, that were just kind of pushing on my sermon prep time. And it just felt like this major, major labor of just uh, trying to find out what God would have for us today. Sometimes I'm tempted to be discouraged by those times because it's almost like ramming your head against a wall and of course that doesn't do you very much good. The wall wins. So it's like, what are you wanting me to do here, God? And the Lord was gracious to kind of give me a a breakthrough to help me to understand that when you begin to address a subject such as advancing the gospel into areas where darkness is the strongest, and light needs to shine the brightest, there will be great attack. And so therefore, it didn't surprise me. It saddened me, but it didn't surprise me when my wife looked at me this morning and said, I'm supposed to serve with the kids, and I'm sick. I can't do it. And I know there's others in KTC who, the kids treasuring Christ, that cannot, uh, couldn't come because of sickness. And then Ben McInnes says, We had not one, not two, but three people that were practiced with us on Thursday that now couldn't be here this morning. And you just begin to get a sense of excitement about that. Like, God is up to something. 
Now, I'm not glad that they're sick. We want to pray against that and for them. But there is this sense, when it happens in great measure and great number, that the Lord is at work. And therefore, He's got a message for you and for me today. And so with this message, I found, like, I found that it might be helpful to just start at the beginning. Sometimes it's just helpful to restate what you already might know. And why might that be? Because foundations are forever. When a foundation on a house begins to crumble, I did home inspections for a while, and if you ever have a downspout that's not drained away from the house, water seeps underneath, it begins to mess up that foundation, you begin to see cracks in your walls on that corner, and patios drop, and things like that, all because the foundation is bad, the house begins to lean. Foundations are crucial for a structure of a facility. I know that when the 4th of July is around and it's fireworks time, you want that platform to be stable. You do not want one of those massive fireworks to do anything other than this. We want 90 degree vertical. We do not want it to do this right at your eyes. We don't want that to happen. Why? Because, of course, you get hurt. But foundations are extremely helpful and crucial for stability, for safety. So today we begin by shoring up our foundation. Kind of going over what many of you might already know. But what my prayer has been is that we would not treat it as old hat. But that it would grip our heart in a fresh new way. So the aim today is to remember our God. To know His story. And to join Him in it. There's three things I want to go after today. Number one, God's glory is the goal. Number one, God's glory is the goal. Number two, His glory will certainly, no doubt, spread to the ends of the earth. There will be a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered around the throne of Jesus Christ. And number three, God commissions us to do it. God's glory is the goal. His glory will spread to the ends of the earth. And God commissions us to pursue His glory and us to be the ones that spread His glory to the ends of the earth. So let's dive in here. Number one, God's glory is the goal. Let's look at Romans 15. Romans 15 verse 7 says, as it leads in, it says, therefore. What's the therefore referring to? It is that in the church, there are those who are strong and weak in their faith. Some are creating rules that don't need to be rules, and some are living in freedom without a sense of conviction. And there's a sense that we've all got to be centered on what God would have, but when, when there's these divisions, when there's confusion, there creates all kinds of tension. And so what he's saying here is, therefore... Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. He welcomed you not because you did the right things. He welcomed you by faith alone. And so therefore, because you've been welcomed, you've been received, therefore you should welcome one another and dwell in unity for one overarching reason. And what is it? Say it with me. For the... Okay, we need a little better. We'll train. Okay, we've got to work on this together. Okay? Unity is what we're after here, okay? I'll say for thee, you say the answer. Here we go. For thee. That's right. Say it with conviction. You need to mean it. Here we go. Verse 7 says that God wants unity for His glory. He wants unity for His glory. And then look at what He says. Verse 8. For I tell you that Jesus Christ came. He came as a servant to the circumcised, that is the Jews, in order to do three things. Show God's truthfulness, that He keeps His Word. Show God's faithfulness, that is He keeps all of His promises and He acts according to what He says. And number three, verse nine, in order that the nations, the Gentiles, that non-Jews might glorify God for His mercy. Jesus came that He would pour out mercy upon undeserving people that who then receiving mercy might give glory to His name. Might praise Him and magnify Him. 
might lift him up. So what does glory mean? Pastor John Piper has a very helpful illustration. When you say that glory is to magnify, it is not to magnify like a, teles- like a microscope, but to do it like a telescope. What does a microscope do? It takes something that's really crazy tiny that you can't see with your eyes, and it makes it bigger than it really is. That is not how we magnify or glorify God. He is not tiny, and He does not need us to make Him bigger. Instead, we glorify God like a telescope. What does that do? It takes something that is massively big that we can barely understand its size that seems really far away and then it blows it up to at least a partial bit of its size so that we see it a little bit more as it truly is. We were created to glorify God like a telescope. We are created to take this glorious, sovereign, beautiful God and to try with all of our fragility and failures and sin and to make Him look at least a little bit more as great as He is to the world around us. And friends, there's something that I purposefully said and did not say in the wording of this first point. I did not say God's glory is our goal. And yet it is. I did not say that God's glory is the goal of all humanity. And yet it is. And I did not say that God's glory is God's goal. And yet it is. I stated it generically because all three are true. God's goal is Himself. And His praise. And therefore, our goal is to be for the glory of God. When He says, you shall have no other gods before Me, then it would be idolatry for Him to have any other gods except Himself. If He is the true and only sovereign God, which He is. God must be most affectionate for Himself because He alone is worthy of praise. He alone is all-powerful. He alone is all-knowing. He alone is God. And so His glory is His aim. And therefore, everything that He creates is meant to go towards that aim. And any other aim is secondary. And if it becomes primary, it's idolatrous. It will cripple us and crush us. It will destroy the soul. It gets us off task. Because we were created for a better goal. So God's glory is the goal. And I just want to take you through a shotgun list of verses that support that statement. What about creation? Isaiah 43.7 says this. It ultimately says that God is passionate for His glory and that He created us for His glory. It says Isaiah 43.7, Everyone who is called by My name, whom I created For my glory, whom I formed and made. We were created, designed, crafted for His fame. God chose a people, Israel, for His good pleasure. That they might be a praise and a glory to Him. You see it in Jeremiah 13.11. It says, For as the loincloth cleans to the waist of a man, So I made the whole household of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me. I made them a people who gripped me tightly. That was my doing. And why did I do it? Declares the Lord. It says that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. They were crafted to give God praise with their lives. Their existence was to shine like a beacon in a dark world that God is glorious. And yet, this text says that they did not obey. So what about their disobedience? How does that affect the glory of God? Well, 1 Samuel 12, 20 and 22 tells us. And Samuel said this to the people, Don't be afraid that you've done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. He's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to turn away from sin to trust in God. 
He says, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And don't turn aside after empty things. They can't profit or deliver. They're empty. God is the only full one. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great namesake. He said He's going to make a people and He's going to keep His word. For His great namesake, He will make a people. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. God was passionate that a people would stand forth worshiping and praising Him. And He says this, even though His anger is righteous and just, and it must be dispensed upon those who do evil, He says, both my anger and my mercy are for the glory of my name. Isaiah 48, 9-11 For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God is passionate that He is known and loved and worshipped and praised by His people. And so why did Jesus come? We celebrated Christmas, the coming of Jesus Christ. God Himself putting on flesh. It says that He came in John 12, 27-28 for this reason. He says, now my soul is troubled. Why was Jesus' soul troubled? He is staring the abandonment of His Father in the face and crucifixion is on the horizon. And He says, my soul is troubled. What should I say? Should I say, Father, keep this from me? Save me from this hour? But He says, it's for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Father, use my death to make much of You. Father, save a people who have no hope through my death, that they might give You praise. Father, comfort the downcast. Forgive sins. Father, use my death for the glory of Your name. That's why Jesus came. And then a voice from heaven comes so that everybody who's around Jesus when He's talking this way, they hear this. The Father says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. God will get praise for His name. He is passionate for it. That's why He sent His Son. And so glory is pretty important. The glory of God is pretty important. And God alone deserves the glory. It makes sense because He alone is the greatest. I don't know if you track the Heisman Trophy candidacy thing, but the Heisman Trophy was given out last night. And first time a person from Oregon had won it. And so Marcus Mariota won this Heisman Trophy. But every time that the Heisman Trophy comes up, there's this sense of all this sports talk. Who's going to get it? Who's going to be the best? And they're pitting statistics after statistics against each other. And there's always debate. And so you're always wondering, okay, who's going to win it? Who's going to get the trophy? And friends, I just want to say, God always gets the trophy of the greatest. Nobody's statistics ever compare to His. He needs no counsel. He has created everything. He has no beginning and no end. He knows the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is yet to come. Our God is the greatest. Hands down. No debate. No competition. He alone is worth all the praise that we could give Him. And so, this passage says we are to do these things for the glory of God. But friends, for how many of us has that just become a tagline? A Christian tagline. Yeah, let's do it for the glory of God. It's what I'm supposed to say. But the word glory means more than just a tagline. The word glory means weight. It means what is my heart and life anchored to? It means what is the largest motivation for my actions? What is the strongest barometer for my desires? What determines whether I say yes or no? What gives me purpose or significance? It is that I am created to please and surrender my life to the will of God. 
That alone gives me everything that I need. It is not a tagline. I exist to magnify Him. And friends, we have a hope if we are in Christ. He has come to glorify the Father. And He did that because God did not want to give up on us for the sake of His name. He sent His Son to die that we might find forgiveness and have hope and live our lives for His glory. So what is your hope? What pulls you up when you are sad? What strengthens you when you're terrified? What draws near to you when you feel alone with no friends? What comes to you when rejected by individuals or by groups? What reignites your joy? It should be and is that God has committed to bless His people. He's committed to send His Son and He did to forgive us of sins. He promises to draw near to the brokenhearted and to rejoice the heart that is downcast. I remember reading from a man named Charles Bridges who trained up pastors in the 1800's. And Charles Bridges, I don't remember the whole quote, it's, it's really, really good and it's about yay long on paper. And so, but I do remember a phrase. I remember a phrase that he used. And he said that God gets glory, and this is the phrase, when difficulty begins to give way to the promises. And here's what that means. When we begin to forget the difficulty that's right here and we begin to see that He promises to meet us in the difficulty. When you're weak and weary, don't let that overcome you But when you're living for the glory of God, you believe that He's going to keep His promise to be near to the brokenhearted. To strengthen the weak. It is the fact that God is passionate for His glory, which means He will keep His Word. And we can trust His promises. And so how does the glory of God affect our lives? How does it affect our lives? Well, when we live for the glory of God, You know, even when you're sinned against, we become more broken that God is not being glorified rather than embittered because we were not respected. I'll say it again. When we live for the glory of God and people sin against us, we become more broken hearted because God is not being glorified than we are embittered and hating people because we were not respected. It's very interesting. It is right and good to hate injustice. But hate the sin. Be broken over the fact that that person doesn't know Christ and doesn't live for His glory. You and I would be doing the exact thing that that person has done to you that hurts you so badly, were it not for grace. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, the only reason you do anything good is because God has given what's called a common grace to the world that keeps just massive anarchy from happening. And so friends, when we live for the glory of God, we become soft-hearted, broken over sin, hating injustice, but fighting against bitterness. When God's glory is our pursuit, we begin to look at creation with awe and wonder. Complaining begins to diminish and thanksgiving begins to rise up. And even as we look at Christmas, which can be so much about consumption, it'll shift to Christ and generosity. Our focus moves away from the difficulties onto the promises. That God will be near His people. We were created for His glory. He is passionate for His glory. And that's where our purpose and significance comes from. Now friends, here's the deal with His glory. He promises He will get His glory to the ends of the earth. That's number two. His glory will spread to the ends of the earth. Let's look at Romans 15. You thought I'd left it, didn't you? I'm back. Here we are. Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 8. 
says, I tell you this, that Christ became a servant to the Jews, the circumcised, to confirm God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. The patriarchs were the fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the ones who were the fathers that were leading up to the people of Israel. And God made promises that Jesus, a Messiah, He would come and He would give His life for sin. He would defeat Satan and He would bring in a new kingdom. And so when Jesus came and died and rose from the dead, He was fulfilling these promises. That's why Jesus came. And then verse 9, it says, Jesus came in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Jesus came that the nations might receive mercy and be changed to love God's glory. And now we see verses 9, 10, 11, and 12 are verses from the Old Testament that verify this very fact. That God will take His glory and spread it to the ends of the earth. And what's unique is this. These four verses, they come from all three sections of the Old Testament. There's one from the law, from the prophets, and from the writings. And the reason he does that is so that you would begin to see this is not just a new message, but this is something that's been told throughout the Old Testament. So you dive in here at verse 9, and you see from 2 Samuel 22.50, Therefore, I will praise you among the nations, or the Gentiles, and sing to your name. And then he goes on in verse 10. In Deuteronomy 32.43, it says, Rejoice, O nations, with His people. Nations with His people. All rejoicing in God. This is not a new message. Verse 11, we begin to see from Psalm 117.1. It says, Praise the Lord, all you nations, and let all the peoples extol Him. And then Isaiah says, in verse 12 here, he says, The root of Jesse, this comes from Isaiah 11, the root of Jesse will come. That means a Messiah will come through Jesse, which is ultimately David's daddy. King David's daddy. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. The nations are going to hope in this Messiah. It's going to happen. And so, we see that Paul is clearly stating God's purposes are for His glory to go to the ends of the earth that all the peoples will worship Him. And this has been a message from the beginning. When you go back to the beginning of the Bible, you begin to see that God's aim was to bless people. Was to bless His creation to love Him. But then, just like we do often, we mess it up. And so, they failed. God's people sinned. And instead of enjoying God's good pleasure and presence, they lost it. And they were kicked out of the garden. They did not enjoy His presence. And then if we fast forward, what we begin to see is things just begin to spiral out of control, which is why the massive flood had to come in Genesis 6-9. through And then you see it happens again when you look at Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, you have these people who are trying to stay together, but stay together to make a name for themselves. And here's how they want to do it. They want to build a massive tower to heaven to show their greatness. And so Genesis 11.4 says this, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And then I want you to listen for three things. Here's one. Let us make a name for ourselves. Number one. Lest we be scattered or dispersed, number two, over the face of the entire earth, number three. And so what happened? As they tried to make a name for themselves so that they would not be scattered to the ends of the earth, God makes a name for Himself and punishes them by scattering them to the ends of the earth. And His punishment creates confusion. Different languages. Cultures are developed. And they're sent out to the ends of the earth. And yet the Gospel promise stands firm that the Gospel will go to the ends of the earth. And that's why He tells Abraham, 
Just one chapter later in Genesis 12, these words. He says, I will make of you a great nation, Abraham. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you'll be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families, all the families throughout the whole earth will be blessed. I will use you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I will do it. And so what did Romans chapter 15 say? Jesus came in order to prove God's truthfulness and to confirm these promises made to the patriarchs. God is going to get His glory to the ends of the earth. And that's why when you begin to truck through the Old Testament, you begin to see Joshua. Joshua right up in front of Jericho. You know the song, Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. You know that song? Yeah, it's not in the Bible, but it's about a Bible story. And so Joshua finds the Battle of Jericho. He's right up to the front of this battle. How is he going to win the battle against the people who don't love God? Answer, they're going to be saved by one who isn't a Jew. Her name is Rahab. And it's through her faith and the obedience of Joshua to lead the people that the people of Israel are rescued. All of a sudden, you just begin to read and you put that in the back of your mind. It's like foreshadowing in a movie. It's like, huh, nations. Well, then you keep reading and you look at Ruth. The book of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi. The setting there is that the people of Israel have chosen to follow other gods and not worship the one true God. They find themselves in Moab, which is a historically horrible pagan city. The Moabites receive some of the harshest judgment in the Old Testament. And they find themselves, the people of Israel there, Naomi loses her husband, Ruth loses her husband, and Ruth, who is a Moabite, encourages Naomi who is supposed to be the faithful one, by saying this, your God will be my God. And your people will be my people. Where does that come from? It comes from Genesis 12. God promises He will get His name and His fame to the ends of the earth, even the Moabites. Even to us. Even to some of your harshest enemies, God is powerful enough to get the gospel. And the thread runs, and it says in Isaiah 49.6, Isaiah 49.6 says this, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Here's why Jesus came. Not just to make a people of Israel, but I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God will get His glory to the ends of the earth. That's why it says, when the Apostle John, who walked with Jesus, is exiled to Patmos, and he's given a vision into that last day, And he sees the people of God face down because Jesus Christ is right before them and they're singing a song. What are they singing? They're singing about Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seal because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe, every language, every people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign. On the earth. That's the picture of the last day. There will be a representative of every tribe and language and people group. The promise of Abraham will be completed. All the families of the earth will be blessed to see Jesus Christ as the glorious Messiah and hope that every person on the planet is longing for. God will, God has been, and God is accomplishing that purpose. So I want to tell you a story. Levi and Lexi Linville. Whenever I say their name, it makes me smile. The Linvilles, they serve in Bangladesh. And they wrote this story of how God is accomplishing His purposes to take the Gospel to people who do not know Jesus among those in Bangladesh. The story is of a man named Momin. Momin is Levi's rickshaw driver, which is a common 
way to get around. First time he met Momin, he gave him 3,000 taka, which is about $38.96 to kind of drive him around. And then the rickshaw broke. Here's how Levi describes it. It makes me laugh. His rickshaw broke while hauling my contribution to Earth's gravity. You following that? While hauling my big body is ultimately what he's saying. I broke the rickshaw. I was too big. And so he said, we got down and we tried to fix the rickshaw. He said, little did I know that a week later I had done more than hurt the rickshaw. That when the rickshaw broke, Momin, the rickshaw driver, actually broke some bones in his hand. And so he ended up at the hospital with Momin and they x-rayed his arm and it showed a distinct break through his ulna and radius bones just above his right wrist. And so... Levi realized that now he's this man's medical insurance and he's got to pay this bill. It was $61.08 in order to x-ray and put a cast, set x-ray, put a cast on this man's hand. Now, the story doesn't end there. Why? Because God is jealous that there will be a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue giving praise and glory to His name. So, while he could not ride the rickshaw with his hurt hand, Levi took the opportunity to tell Bible stories to Momi, revealing God's plan of salvation from creation all the way to final judgment, similar to what I just did for you. And he says he was privileged to do that day in and day out. And he didn't receive any resistance from Momin, even though Momin was like every, almost everyone else there, a Muslim. But Momin was a Muslim in name only. He was really more agnostic. He didn't know really what to believe. And so, Levi began to feel burdened for Momin. That Momi needed the power of God. He needed a powerful encounter with God to grip his heart. And so two days later, he began to, or he began to spend some time in prayer and fasting for Momi. And two days later, by the leading of the Spirit, he began to sense that God wanted him to pray specifically for miraculous healing on Momin's arm. And so he came to Momin and he called a local pastor so that make sure that there wasn't any translation gap. And he began to pray for healing over Momin's arm. Two days following the prayer, Momin came to Levi, bugging him, annoyed at his cast. And he described it as, in broken English, I'm in very much pain. But ultimately, he realized that he didn't mean pain. He just meant it was really, really itchy. But because he said pain, they went to the doctor for a new x-ray. When they went to get an x-rayed, the arm was completely healed. Beyond healed, it looked as if nothing had ever broken at all. The doctor was so weirded out by this that he asked Levi what he had done. What did you do? <laughs> like, what, what could he have done? What did you do? And when I explained the Lord had healed Momin through prayer in Jesus Christ's name, he became angry and he refused to take Momin's cast off and asked us to leave immediately. So Momin got some friends to cut the cast off. And his arm was healed. He could work again. He could feed his family again. And after this, Momin began to pay a little closer attention to the stories that they were going over. And then Levi's birthday rolled around. And for his birthday, he invited his friend Momin over and he invited that same pastor over to eat some cake. And while they were eating some cake, the local pastor was able to answer a lot of Momin's questions and share the gospel in a very concise way in his heart language. And to our delight, that very day, Momin became a follower of Jesus Christ. And on that day and since then, 
He has been discipled by that local pastor. Learning to do and to teach all that Christ commanded. He has led his family to Christ. That is his mother, his older brother, his wife, his daughter who is 14 and his son who is 8. As well as ever, uh, several other rickshaw drivers who now gather with him to read or to listen to the Bible every morning before tea. <laughs> Amen. The Lord is accomplishing his purposes. It is His good pleasure to break in and to make His name famous for the good of His people and the glory of His name. Dear friends, and God's passion for His glory and His promise to get His name to the ends of the earth, He promises to do that through us. The third point is that God commissions us to do it. That's why he says in Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and do what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. He wants our light to shine. To shine where we are. To make a name for God where we are. To be agents of justice and mercy here in this city. To reach out to our neighbors and to let our light shine. To reach into our families and let our light shine. To reach into this community and to let our light shine. So that those who have no hope might give glory to God and find the peace and joy they've been longing for forever. That's why Jesus says in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen and 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now He says, go and make disciples, make followers of Jesus. Of all the nations, of all the people groups, of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and culture, and family, go make disciples of all of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And He said, hey, I'm going to be with you to do this. You're not alone. To the end of the age. That is Jesus' commission to His church. That we are lights where we are so that He gets glory. But friends, His mission is not just evangelism. His mission is also that we might take the Gospel to areas that are not reached and have no access to the Gospel. Our mission is both and, not either or. And we get this in Matthew twenty-four fourteen, and in our passage Romans 15. Let me read Matthew 24:14 and it says this. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. You follow that logic? The gospel, the message that has changed so many lives in this room, it will be certainty, guaranteed, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Takes you back there to the beginning, doesn't it? When they were scattered, that gospel is going to go to the scattered places. As a testimony to all the people groups, all of the nations and tribes and tongues, and then Jesus is going to come back. He is saying we must be about taking that gospel to those nations because we want Jesus to come back. And this is why we see what we see in Romans 15. If you haven't flipped off of Romans 15, I'm actually back there now, believe it or not. And when I go back there, I want you to look at verse 18. Because what we see in Paul's life is that our mission is not just reaching our nearest neighbor. But our mission as the people of God also has another component to it. And look at what it was for Paul here. Verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to do something. What? To bring the nations to obedience. How? Through word and deed, through powers of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, want the nations to obey so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation. But as it is written in Isaiah 52, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. 
Now tell me this. How in the world, how in the world could Paul say the gospel has gone from Jerusalem, which is southern Palestine, all the way up to Illyricum, which is northwestern Greece? No, there are thousands of unbelievers still there. And we know that to be the case because all the churches in those regions he encourages to engage the lost. But yet Paul says, look at verse 23. I no longer have any room for work in these regions. What? There's thousands of people who don't know Christ. And yet he says, I no longer have any room for work. Why? Because he knows the promise of God is to take the gospel, not just to as many people as we can, but to people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And he must go where the gospel is not. And so his aim was to plant a church to get it established, to get leaders raised up, to get people who can disciple one another and then to leave them to spread the gospel. And he's going to do it again. He's going to go plant in other regions. Which is why he says later on in Romans, I'm going to Spain. Because Spain didn't have the gospel yet. And he's going there. There is a unique type, Pauline type work that the church must engage in. In order that Matthew 24, 14 would be fulfilled. That the gospel gets to all the peoples and then Jesus comes back. This is what the church is about. God is passionate for His glory. His glory will get to the ends of the earth. And it is through His church that this will happen. Friends, two billion people have zero access to the Gospel. No access. It's not like us where you can find a Bible, but we just choose not to. No access at all. That's spanning 6,500 people groups. People groups, it's kind of hard to define, but you see throughout the Scriptures that these are groups that have their own culture, their own language, their own hopes, their own dreams, yet no access to the Gospel. We must go. We must send. I was looking, if you do this, you can do it another time. Not right now, on your phones. But if you type in in Google, population of the world, there's this thing called the worldometer. And it pops up and it shows you in real time the population as it is growing in the world. Right now we're at 7.2 billion people. I checked it this morning. The United States has 323 million people in it. And you want to know something that was really sobering? Or how fast people were dying. The good news... There were more births than there were deaths. But the population would do this right here. You'd see numbers go up and down like this. From deaths and births. Deaths to births. And it would just keep increasing. But the sober reality. Almost seven times the number of people in America have no access to the Gospel. Two billion people. It is not enough for us to only be about reaching our neighbors with the gospel, we must be also a part of this Pauline missionary endeavor. Now, friends, here's the temptation. Almost every mission sermon I've ever heard has these as the temptations. And so I want to just put all the cards on the table. Number one, the emphasis becomes more about your doing than it does about what God promises to do through you and has already accomplished. You just begin to hear, do more. Come on, Christian, get with the program. Go, do it. I'm saying God has promised He will accomplish this plan and that you are not alone. And so He promises to bless you as you seek to be a blessing to the nations, as you seek to reach out and to love your neighbor. This isn't more about you. It's about what He has already promised to do and accomplished on the cross. The second thing is that this just becomes a massive guilt trip, right? 
you get these statistics that begin to kind of put your soul at unease. And all of a sudden you feel like you are just secondary. And now all of a sudden the people that we see on these videos overseas, they're varsity and we're JV. We're the ones that aren't really good Christians because we're not doing as much risk taking as they're doing. Friends, every single believer is a missionary where they are. God has called you. He's commissioned you. And we are behind you together as a church. We are going out to reach this city for Christ. To speak into areas of injustice. To take mercy where there are needs. To tell the gospel to neighbors and family and friends. Because Christ needs to be treasured here. It's not secondary. I'm not better because I'm a pastor. They're not better because they're over there. But we all must be about taking the gospel to our neighbors and being a part of this missionary endeavor. Some will go. Some will send. But all must be a part. This is the missionary mandate. This is the call of the Scriptures for the glory of God. Because the other temptation is afraid that you won't get people passionate to love their neighbor here. You act as if it is not a priority to reach the unreached. And it is biblically. It is a priority to reach those who have never heard. So that the end will come and we will see revelation lived out. So when we pursue a multi-ethnic church here at Treasuring Christ Church, it is so that we might be a small taste. We might learn how to love across cultures. But it is not the end in itself. It is so that God gets glory here and all of a sudden people begin to just love being around other cultures so that some might go. And so friends, what do we do? Well, I'm going to use three things that Pastor Travis mentioned. Last week, we push forward our resources. We pull ourselves by the grace of God out of our comfort zone to love. And we pray. We pray for the gospel to go. We push, pull, and pray. Pushing forward resources. You need to be convicted and convinced that when you give generously to this church, you are giving to the nations. Our missionaries are supported Scholarships are given so that many of you can go on trips. Money for church planting among the nations. This facility is supported where we have parties regularly for internationals that are here in our city. It supports international outreach at NC State and those that we just want to get to know our neighbors. And sometimes that requires money so we can throw some good parties with them. And they can ask questions and have safe context to understand what is Christmas and what is Thanksgiving. And we can also share the hope that is in Jesus. It takes resources to do those things. And so we must give faithfully here. But beyond that, sometimes there are those, as the Spirit of God convicts, there's these special circumstances. And Pastor Travis mentioned last week that there's a woman in southern China. Her name is Lydia. And God gripped her heart and then used her to see hundreds of people come to faith as she's trained up over 30 evangelists. To go out into five different villages and watch the gospel spread in southern China. But her life, she brings in these people who are being persecuted for their faith. She brings them into her house. Well, right now her roof is falling in. It is horrible. She is, has really no protection from the elements. And she doesn't have enough space to house all these individuals who are being persecuted for the gospel. So what we talked about, Travis and I talked through it. What we would like to do is we would like to encourage giving towards this cause. It will take $10,000 to help get her roof fixed. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to take $4,000 out of our Hope for Nations um, savings account and we want to do a matching gift. Every dollar you give, up to $4,000, will be matched. And then we're also pursuing some other donors that we might be able to make up the difference and get the full ten. Maybe this Christmas, God might stir on your heart to give above and beyond what you do here in order to meet Lydia's specific needs. But we can push our resources forward in order that she might continue to be able to share the gospel there in southern China. But what about pulling? We not only push forward our resources, we want to be pulled out of our comfort zone to love. There's tons of people that need to know the hope of Jesus, that need friends, that need to understand community. 
So whether that's through SIT here to get to know our city and those from different cultures in our city, or whether it is going on some of these trips. Pastor Travis sent out a a newsletter this past week that shares the two trips we'll be taking next year. One to southern China, where we'll get to see Lydia, and one to Guatemala, where we'll get to care for orphans. If that is something you would like to be a part of, pray through that. And what we will hope to do is to see many people going to serve these individuals with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One is to an unreached place and one is to a place of just different cultures in Guatemala where we're able to do mercy work. But finally, we not only push forward resources and we not only pray that God pulls us out of our comfort zone, but we pray. That is the foundational job that we can do to extend the gospel. Homes need to be taking those prayer cards out in the coffee room with our international workers' face on them and putting them on that kitchen table and praying for them. Community groups need to be taking some of those faces and praying over them and encouraging them because God is at work, but when light advances into darkness, there is attack. And we need to uphold our people with prayer. People like Levi and Lexi Linville that you'll get to hear from right now. Good morning, TCC. Good morning, TCC. Good morning, TCC. Good morning, TCC. We finally moved to Barishal, our village 60 miles south of the capital city. Why? Because from here, we have better access to hundreds of thousands of people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. What about the remnant who has heard and believes? We provide them with discipleship and resources to deepen the gift of faith that they've received. This remnant trusts in Christ and studies the Bible, but they're isolated with many questions and very few ways to get answers. But now that we're here, we're able to build relational bridges between these isolated groups and bring them together Encourage them to meet weekly, study the scriptures, worship through praise, fight sin, grow in godliness, observe the Lord's Supper, pull their resources to serve others within and without. And, yeah, church, church, church. But obviously, the New Testament exists because new churches have problems. Barishal is no exception. There's a real trend of apostasy here that we're field researching to understand and try to eliminate. Furthermore, the majority of the people here who call themselves Christians are only so by birth. They inherit it from their family, and they know nothing of the true gospel and get offended if you try to share with them because they do all the right things. So, many of you already know this, but for those who've yet to hear, I can really relate to these Christians, these cultural Christians, because I too was a Christian in name only until just this past August. This little village took all of the self-righteous strength I had left. I thought I had been saved at four, but God brought me here to free me of all those delusions of American knowledge worship. Knowing the right things is not enough. And it turns out neither is saying or doing the right things. It's a heart issue. God brought me to Barishal to condemn me of my sin, something I found a way to hide from everywhere else. He made me look at that sin and sorrow over it for two and a half days. During that time, I asked and begged for repentance. But God made me wait, because it's a gift he gives, not one I could seize. Finally, on the third day, God saved me through the testimony of a local pastor here. He quoted Mark 2.17, and that was the seed of hope that the good soil in my broken heart had been prepared for. I felt new life being born inside of me, and like a plant, it's growing Afterwards, we traveled to Dhaka for encouragement and for counsel. And while I was there, I was baptized by the same local pastor who had shared Mark 2.17 with me. I am so thankful for those of you who knew about this and prayed for me during those times. Thank you so much. And that's all the time we have. So please keep praying. Pray for those hearing the gospel for the first time. Those struggling to understand and share the gospel. Pray for the health of these new churches. And pray for my beautiful, beautiful, beautiful wife. As she walks in this new faith that she has been given. 
Thank you guys so much. Thank Rejoice you. with us in the coming of Christ's Advent season. Happy Missions Week and Merry Christmas. We love you. We miss you. So much. Bye. Bye. God is at work. Let me pray. Father, we just ask. We ask not out of manipulation, but out of a new view for your glory. We ask that you would send us. We ask that you would encourage us. We ask that you would help us to be generous. We ask that, God, we would rally together to reach this city for the name of Jesus Christ and that God you would also use us to reach those who have never heard of Jesus with the gospel as Mark 2.17 says those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick Jesus came not to call the righteous but sinners Lord I pray for those in this room those who are hiding under the mask of religion who ultimately felt like and feel like they have everything together. But, oh God, I pray that in these special moments, in this time right now, the wave of Your Holy Spirit would come over and where we are leaning on our own performance and religion, that we would be broken of it. And we would declare that we are the sick that Jesus came for. That we are the sinners who need a Savior. That we are the ones who need Christ to forgive us and wash us clean. So Father, I ask if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that God, You would grip them with Your love. You would reorient them towards Your glory. And that God, You would bring them into this church community so that they will not be alone as they walk in knowing You. Oh Father, do a saving work. And I pray that for us who are part of Your church family already, those who are saved, I ask that you would grip us, grip us with your glory, and you would use us to spread the gospel both here and to the end.